It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Welcome to Screen Talk, IndieWire's weekly podcast. I'm Eric Cohn, the deputy editor and chief critic, joined as always by Ann Thompson, our editor-at-large, for our last podcast before the fall festival season really takes off with Telluride right around the corner. Ann, how are you holding up in the kind of slow drum roll to the beginning of the, the series? Slow isn't the word I would use, as you are uh, experienced. What's really fun is that some of these folks are actually showing us the movies early, but we can't talk about them. So I am... Uh, not even riddles we can't even drop hints no no i'm full of 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 i have to tell you i've seen some really good movies um which will be showing up shortly and i will be doing interviews and you'll be writing reviews and and i will be you know explaining which ones are oscar contenders or, or not but but it's really you know this is the time this is when we really get to to jump in to the fray and and make uh assessments it's really a good a good period of time it's just overwhelming yeah well i think it's also it's it's kind of interesting because it's that it's that sort of dividing line between when you feel like you know what the year in movies is and when your perception of the year in movies completely changes because of all these different films so you start to see some stuff and and you start to collect opinions but really it's after that dense weekend at Telluride and then we go into Toronto where this narrative starts to shift more and more people start to weigh in and your opinion versus other people's opinions start to kind of coalesce into to, to the next stage and the final stage of the year. But, um, but we're- That's correct. That we're, is a very good of, way of putting it. But, but it's like we're start, we're in the prologue stage right now. You know, it's like- We're we on have, our own right now. Basically, yeah, yeah. we're making our own little opinions inside of our brains and shifting and moving things around. And I've seen some more documentaries, for example, that are coming up. And uh, the documentary race is very fluid because um, there's a lot of movies that have been seen already, but many, 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 and more than usual uh, for the fall season that haven't. Um, and for example, the broadcast film critics have a documentary awards thing, and I'm on that committee. And it's a little disturbing, uh, actually, to have to weigh in as early as as we will. Um, yeah, there's, there's an early deadline for that. They created those awards was it two years ago or something like that, and it's it's kind of you know it's shocking that anyone would even consider adding something to the fray. But, but they know. are making screeners available to everyone, yeah. so the, yeah. the publicists know that. But unfortunately, it's also about, um, you know, making, we make, the, the committee makes these determinations before the movies are open or have been reviewed. Or You're talking about a whole process uh, that, that, you know, uh, informs everyone. Yeah, it, and it and it creates more confusion because you have so many people who are who are taking a lot of time trying to figure out what their campaign strategy is, how they want to message this sort of stuff, and then all of a sudden it's just 
dropping into a bunch of critics' inboxes. And, you know, in the middle of award season, even if it's not one of the biggest award shows, by virtue of the fact that it is an award show, it's, it's relatively early, it will make a difference in the documentary race. So stuff like that. I guess does. I would say that the documentary race especially is very, because there's such a wide field of movies, it's so dispersed and so varied um, from so many different suppliers and distributors. Um, anything makes a difference, but there are many, many, many different ways that those, you know, there's, there's uh, Doc NYC or, or uh, you know, uh, Cinema Honors or, you know, any yeah, number the of these things. I mean, the, the, the IDA, and we're going to have our right. IDA series as usual this right. year. I mean, the, the irony is that... Uh, something like the Cinema Awards was originally created as a contrast to the Oscars, and then it started to kind of sync up with them in recent years. But now the, it's like the market is so flooded, and flooded with pretty good documentaries that are finding distribution. I mean, documentaries are doing well right now. We really could use a little bit of, like, spreading the love. It would be nice to see award shows that are very, very That's, different. That seems to happen, though, Eric. If you, looked at, if you looked at all the different guilds last year, and you looked at the Oscars and the Globes and and uh, the different award shows, you would see that there were, they were not all the same winners at all. Well, I, I mean, I think in the, in the context of documentaries and foreign language, it might have been a little bit different than that. But, it's, uh, but it'll be interesting to see how, what, co what kind of coalesces after we see some of the last uh, kind of things that are coming to the surface here. I mean, you got this new Michael Moore movie, which who knows you know, how that's going to come out. He must have gone back to the editing room last week to keep tinkering away after all the <laughs> that story is never going to be finished yeah. but his yeah. goal is to get out ahead of the uh, midterms and right. uh, and everybody seems to be using just to j delve into politics for one second everybody does seem to be using the midterms as, yeah. as a kind of uh, leverage and you have to assume the midterms themselves can figure into the way that these movies come out into the world and how the news cycle itself is perceived uh, when things are going down in a really crazy fashion I mean the the voting's going to happen at a time when we've seen the bulk of award season movies. The right? thing about Michael Moore is that he does seem to um, play to the choir to to a certain degree. It's not like he's going to change the minds of of any Republicans out there. Um, well, I mean, it's it's, uh, it's part of part of his tactic is basically that he doesn't have to if enough people are engaged on the left. I mean. That's well, and he's also in his sweet spot, which is, you know, Fahrenheit 9-11, now Fahrenheit 11-9. These are movies that are going up against the Republican establishment. And I'm curious. When yeah. he was in the Obama years, his movies somehow didn't have the same traction. Yeah, I'm curious to see how some of the big narrative movies that are vying for attention in award season are or are not going to be seen as political. I mean, we've been talking about Black Panther for a while the very reception of that movie has been seen as almost like a political act to send a message to, you know, the entertainment studio world about representation and, you know, the, 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 all of that stuff. But, but it's, and yet it's one of the most popular movies of all time. And all right, well, we should talk about we're that. We're talking about best popular film at the, all right. So I want you and I, you were in LA, you came out for our awards uh, lunch uh, and it was great to have you in town for a few days. Um, and it was um, apparent uh, to you, I'm sure, as you, as you made the rounds, that this conversation is still going on. Everybody's really up in arms about it. And I can tell you from all the conversations I've had with Academy members, they're really angry that the that there was this errant 
governor's meeting with 54 academy governors making this crazy, it seems to them, uh, decision to go with this best popular film, which is not going to be voted on by the audience. It is apparently going to be voted on by, by the Academy. And, but we don't know the rules. And so I've been told that they really are going to let us know what those rules are in the next um, week or so. It's supposed to be before Telluride. Um, and I'm, not I'm that there's going to be, I mean, yeah, you assume that the best popular films, in contention are not Telluride films. So it'll be interesting to be at, on the one hand, looking at, you know, the traditional kind of award season world and all these new films that are coming out and launching their campaigns. Whereas probably the best popular film candidates, you have to assume most of them have come out, whether it's, you know, Black Panther or Avengers or maybe Crazy Rich Agents. I mean, if it's a budgetary thing. Paddington yeah. too. <laughs> hey, that would be nice. Mission I, Impossible that, Fallout. Yeah, yeah, yeah they're but out you there. Could, you could put, you know, Black Klansman or Mamma Mia or Incredibles two into into this thing, or or um, you know something like. Uh, um, well, those would be the candidates right there. I, I've said it, uh, this before, but see, I would I would much prefer, and I'm sure this is not the way it's being thought about. Is I or would hereditary, much, hereditary could well, be. Well, that, that's what I was going to say. I mean, I would much rather see budget rather than box office being the determining factor. They here. shouldn't have used the word popular. Well, well the thing is with, with, with box office, like Hereditary is not, it was a film that was made outside of Hollywood, you know, this kind of quirky filmmaker who'd made some weird shorts and stuff. And it just so happened to be released by A24, which was very smart and it made a lot of money all over the world. But the art of making a movie like Mission Impossible Fallout or Black Panther or whatever it is, you know, for a hundred million dollars or more, you could you could make a pretty good argument. I think that that's a separate kind of process. We've had that conversation. Yeah, I mean, that's I know, clearly but... clearly we agree about this. But they they went with best popular film. Um, uh, Quiet Place is another candidate because what's the problem? The problem is is the Academy itself is high minded. They want to go in their urge to promote the the movie business they want to lean into what is the most highbrow most quality most admirable uh movie making and that movie making is made by the independents or by the specialty divisions um at a lower budget they don't make big budget movies like that anymore they make genre films and genre films are historically ignored by the academy so how do you get these blockbusters into into the conversation that's what they're trying to do for abc abc totally wagging the tail well here, that's exactly uh, why i'm saying that the budget should be a, a, a relevant here on some level because it's like i mean yes the box office makes a difference but for the most part the movies that are making that kind of money are also movies that are made for but hereditary would be to completely uh, so, uh possible po they i don't think they're going to do box office i honestly think they're going to leave it to the academy to to figure out what they consider to be the best popular films what they have to do is define what that is it's a totally open field or do you sub you have to submit a film fyc for one for one category because it, it qualifies they said for they were allowed to be in both categories so, it, so is already gearing up for a campaign for best picture which we knew all along there's some stories out there like ooh this is news they're going for best picture of course they're going for best picture i think they're they going for all along they're going to go for best director and best screenplay too i mean i know who the people are working on this campaign you know? right but the, but it is is working on black panther 
Hello. It is, it is an interesting question. Or strategy you know, PR, the does, company that she is the head of. Does a company, does a, a strategist like that think now that they need to launch a separate campaign or somehow fold a best popular film campaign into a best I would highly doubt that. I, I mean, would imagine that, that they wouldn't even consider it because okay. it doesn't, it's not what they want to win. They want to win best picture. Right. In some ways it almost. And Michael like Jordan, they want him to right. win and they you want don't. all the costume designers and production. It will get, I mean, it's already, that's why it's so absurd. They should, the, what they could do, which would be the smartest thing they could do. Wait until next year. Postpone yep, this. This is the wrong moment. Just also say that they're not going to do it now. Buy, buy some time and get some more advice from people. It kind of felt like as many people as they had in the room, as many people as they had in the room for this meeting, it does kind of feel like maybe some additional input would make a difference because this is an important challenge that needs to be resolved. As we've said before, you want the Academy to survive. By and the if- way, inside, no, of course we want the Academy to survive. Of course we're rooting, rooting for the Academy to exist. And the fact that they're moving the data up and making it impossible for movies to play in theaters while at the height of Oscar season, you know, makes me crazy. Well, you got they're hurting theatrical as you they're trying to get ahead of the Golden Globes. Yeah, that's that's and that's everybody's just going to move up in front of them. Yeah, I mean that's something that we can, you know, at least in that case, there is still time to talk about it. That's true. But, they could change know. their mind on that. And then, and by the way, somebody told me yesterday, um, an Oscar campaigner with history in his in his mind, that there was a very radical move to um, during the Bob Ramey era to take documentaries out of the of the Oscar. Um, ceremony and it was such a hue and cry at the time that they backed off and said they made a mistake and didn't do it so there is precedence for this um and the hue and cry in this case has been pretty loud yeah i mean it's and what's been kind of fascinating for us is to talk to academy members or people who may as well be academy members because of the the their industry veterans who, who really do feel like something else should be done here, you know, and, and maybe there's, you know, at least a consensus that the big challenge is just trying to find the currency of award seasons and shows in our culture right now. I mean, how do you get middle America to tune into the Oscars? Is it by representing these, these movies? That seems to be the, the argument here that representing movies that more people see, but there are other reasons why they don't tune into the Oscars too. Are there? Can we address those reasons with, agree, with different agree. kinds of changes? So. Absolutely. So in the meantime, um, you and I were talking about some films that we thought you know we would like to throw out there as movies that maybe not everyone is talking about as Oscar contenders that we love, that we care about, that we would like to see. Um, raised uh, into some kind of consideration. And I guess my first film in that category, which I'm hoping will be an Oscar contender eventually, is um, Leave No Trace. I feel very strongly that Deborah Granick's movie is one of the best unsung movies of the year. Even if it got rave reviews and did well at the box office, I'm terrified that people are just going to pass it by. Well, that's an interesting one because obviously Winner's Bone did pretty well at the Oscars and just in terms of nominations. So, you know, from a categorical standpoint, it, it almost is an awards movie. It's just not, there's, it's, it's not quite as, um, I mean, it doesn't have the same hook that Winner's Bone did. So it's, it's maybe a harder selling point. 
on some level. Bone had Jennifer Lawrence. Yeah, well, it launched her career. But it also was, it was a detective story, and this one's a father-daughter story. Well, it launched her career, but the, the, the story of her career launch was the selling point of the movie. So she was nominated for Best Actress right off the bat. And if it hadn't had that, I'm not sure it would have registered as well as it did. That's, that's true. That's true. Well, I mean, Bleecker Street does know, I'm, I have to assume there will be some kind of campaign for that movie, so it will still be out there in the at least in the conversation from a, from a campaign standpoint, if not necessarily having the upper hand in a very very busy year. But it's well, it's a, it's a woman. It's a it's a film directed by by a woman that could in fact um, uh, register and and should be taken you know very very uh, seriously. But I you know sometimes films directed by women aren't taken as seriously and that's just the reality still with an academy that is dominated by older white men to this day no matter how many others have been invited into it you know baby steps i suppose but we'll see what happens on that front what is your what what are some of the films you would like to uh suggest should be should be taken seriously well, I would love to see more people talking about We the Animals. I mean, all, basically nobody's talking about We the Animals. I mean, not no, not in a significant way from an award season standpoint. Maybe it's an indie spirits campaign. Or the critics groups. But, but I mean, it's certainly possible. This is a movie that it's based on uh, a sort of semi-autobiographical novel about a young biracial kid in upstate New York who is sort of grappling with being uh, with his closeted sexuality but it's 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 I call I sort of compared it to Moonlight at Sundance this year which was a tactic to get people interested but it but it actually is this really neat kind of magical realist approach to representing this kid's point of view and it's it's not only his view of his sexuality but also um his family, which is falling apart, and his, his parents are getting a divorce, and much of the film is sort of framed from this very his his height as he looks up at his father, played by Raúl Castillo, who some people may know from Looking. To me, if this movie was pushed out the, the, the right way, I mean, people know this book; it's actually quite popular. It could have a life, and then Raúl Castillo would be a great supporting actor type. He's really incredible as the father of these kids, trying to make their life work in spite of the fact that you can tell. Uh, their family's falling apart, um, but but it's just not a movie that I think has completely resonated as widely as it could have to make that narrative something uh, we could really talk about. Having said that, I moderated a SAG conversation with Raúl Castillo uh, a couple weeks ago, and the support for him was very very strong because Looking has a robust fan base and because he's really good in this movie and it's sort of about to be a star, I would say, or is probably getting close on that. He's sort of where Gal Garcia Bernal was, you know, 15, 20 years ago, something like that. So well, somebody who has two movies out this weekend and who I think is sort of a, uh, a national tre treasure is Ethan Hawke. And, uh, you know, we all have grown up with him and, and we know him from, from the, uh, uh, before series that with Richard Linklater and, and Julie Delpy, and he got two Oscar nominations working with them on those uh, two of those screenplays, um, the sequels. But uh, I, I actually wonder, you know, it, you know, first reformed, obviously the Schrader movie, he has a really good shot at a best actor nomination uh, for that, but that he directed this movie blaze, which played at Sundance. And I just think he did such a good job, but he also made a movie that was 
very much a love song to the music uh, world and then this scruffy um, Blaze Foley, uh, yeah. you know, but, but it's not, um, it's really sort of not, he didn't take a lot of commercial considerations in hand. He made the movie he wanted to make in a very pure uh, sort of Texas uh, way. And I, I, I have a funny feeling that it will be a small, a small movie, but I highly I mean, recommend it. And then Julia Naked is getting better reviews now than, yeah, than it, did than it opened at Sundance, which is sort of interesting. Well, both of them are, so, so Blaze, I mean, Blaze Foley was not super well known outside of kind of Texan country music circles and stuff. And, and the uh, kind of interesting story behind that is that his partner at the time, Sybil Rosen wrote this book about how uh, she didn't even know he became successful. They, they broke up after this like kind of utopian period of earlier in their lives where they had been living in, in a treehouse together. And then he became a little bit more successful and then eventually he died and then she found out about his success later. And so the movie uses her memories of that time as a really interesting kind of uh, way to scrutinize their romance. And, and it doesn't, it kind it's of- It's wonderful. And he, she, wrote, she wrote the screenplay with Hawk so that the movie has a very strong, um, Alia Shawkat plays that part, a very strong uh, female point of view in a yeah. way that you wouldn't ordinarily see. I mean, you it's really fun. He puts these musicians in the movie and he's and Ben Deck, Dickey is, is a musician who plays Blaze Foley really well. Um, and usually it would just be this utterly male milieu, but it brings a female sensibility yeah. to it. But, but I think what's, what's kind of neat about it is that it does universalize the plot because you know, I didn't know Blaze Foley's music when I saw this thing, but because Dickie, who'd never acted before, is such a compelling character, you know, this kind of broad-shouldered, bearded guy with a, a Bob Dylan-ish kind of, you know, muttering uh, approach to his music is, is a really neat kind of creature of cinema. And it is very engaging. It's just, you know, from a, from a bigger conversation, of, you know, the perspective of that bigger conversation about movies right now, it's sort of hard to convey to people what the essence of this one actually is because it is such an internalized well ethan hawk is one of those people who uh you know he writes novels and he directs theater and you know he did sam shepherd plays and and he he's directed three other movies and, and a documentary and so he's 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 really um come along uh with a lot of different parts of himself developing while he's an actor too and it all feeds into his ability to make yes. this movie which is very musical i mean on some level and other, juliet naked is too he's singing and and performing and writing material for that movie as well. well and and the thing that and playing a musician the thing the observation that he and other people have made about juliet naked is that it's kind of like his reality bites character having a midlife that's crisis. right and so, so like that, that's a pretty good selling point in the way that it ties in not only with, you know, his acting career, but kind of the, narr the, the narrative of the people have of Ethan Hawke, the nostalgia factor of like, oh, I remember him in the 90s doing this stuff. And now he's still kind of around and doing stuff. I think even Blaze could help, uh, you know, maybe the first reform campaign in the sense that just the, talking about Ethan Hawke and, and how popular he is and how multifaceted he is in his approach, it can't hurt. You know, no, it's good. He's he getting can... great reviews on every on every front, um, and 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 especially in Juliet Naked, which is a, a romantic comedy uh, triangle movie. Um, you know, he's sexy and, and charming. I mean, he's a good leading man. 
and and a bit of an asshole at the same time. Yeah, it's a juggling act. <laughs> so the 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 filmmaker who I would like to see get more support, and, and I understand it's impractical, but um, you know I don't always live in that world. Is uh, Andrew Bujalski, who has a new movie opening this week. If you're in New York or LA, I really hope you go check out Support the Girls with Regina Hall. Um, it's not like Girls Trip at all, but it's but it's a really great showcase for her as an actress and for Bujalski as a filmmaker. You know, he, he's kind of been all across, all over the map in terms of the kind of stories he's tackled. But he's always had this very, very kind of subdued, textured approach to character-driven storytelling, which a lot of people don't totally quite respond to at first. But I think what's different in this case is that uh, Hall brings a degree of empathy to his world building that we haven't quite seen before. She, she uh, is the manager of this kind of uh, Hooters type of restaurant, as, as it were, um, and is basically protecting the women who work for her from sexual harassment over the course of a day while also dealing with all kinds of other things that happen in her personal life. It's got this like Altman-ish kind of quality to it where you're just sort of drawn into the world and, and individual scenes and characters more than like, you know, story point A or story point B. But it, it really resonates on a bigger level. I mean, in my world, I'd love to see Hall being a, a best actress contender. I'd love to see Bujowski's screenplay, you know, but these are the kinds of things that will get very easily lost. In other that times. movie that may uh, help to push her forward again is uh, The Hate You Give, uh, which is George Tillman Jr.'s movie that I think is going to get a lot of attention out of Toronto, um, starring Russell Hornsby and Regina Hall as the parents of um, Amandala Stenberg. Uh, and it's a good, good movie. Um, and she's very good in it. Yeah, I'm looking forward to that one. The other thing that, that I think is kind of fascinating about the fall season being right around the corner is that it's like there could be excuses to come back to things that we've talked about earlier this year. And that this is a really good one where it's like, you know, as with Ethan Hawke being in First Reformed and then doing these other things that, that can keep him in the conversation, hopefully a movie like that will help Regina Hall kind of be in the conversation and appreciated more than um, – she has been so far, but um, what else is on on your list? What are, what are some other movies that that you're excited to uh, to see get out there, whether or not uh, the awards season? Well, comes? I'm certainly you know IFC is an interesting company. I mean, they make some of you know they pick up and release some of the best art films every year, and yet they haven't really had enormous traction um, in the awards race. Um, and sometimes that may be that. The way their company is set up, they don't necessarily give full theatrical, uh, you know, they're a little bit net, like Netflix in the sense that they're heading for uh, for online pretty fast. And sometimes they do parallel releases and, and, and they do theatrical releases and they did really well with Death of Stalin. They did extraordinarily well with it. But I'm worried that it was that. so early in the year that we may end up I would imagine that screenplay is a possibility for that one. And the other movie that I don't like that much, um, but what could wind up in the screenplay race is Sorry to Bother You. Yeah, well, so Sorry to Bother You. I, mean, I love the screenplay. I, sorry I, to bother I, you. To I you. love the screenplay. I have it's, to tell it's you. It's the execution okay. that, I, that I still have trouble with. Yeah, you, I, but Anne, I got you. Got to give credit to Questlove. I brought this up when the movie came out. We were talking about it. How Questlove tweeted out how his first act as a member of the Academy was to tell people to go see this movie because he thought it should be the best screenplay winner. And um, I agree it, with that. 
I think you know? it's one of the great screenplays. But, I, my, whatever hesitations I have have to do with uh, the fact that we have a first-time filmmaker on a very low budget. That's really the issue. Well, so, so I guess what's, what, what's kind of striking is that when, when I saw this movie at Sundance, I had a really good time with it. I never would have thought it to be a movie that would go on to have an awards campaign, but that shows you to some degree how you know there are a lot of unexpected things that, that can happen now. And in this particular case, the movie really has resonated. It's made good money at the box office. It's kind of like got this zeitgeisty quality to it that could really work in its favor. What I'm curious to see is how a guy like Boots Riley, who it cannot compromise himself in any particular way. He goes off and criticizes Spike Lee, which yeah. is how did, how does the a guy like that, thing uh, for him to do. Yeah, I was going to say, how does that guy deal with the award season pressure, or does he deal, deal with it? I, I think he'll shoot himself uh, in, in the foot if, if I'm not crazy. But, but uh, I, I do, uh, that's a good, uh, Eric, we shall see. That'll be interesting. It'll be I, fascinating. I think Black Klansman is a very strong contender in many ways, uh, as and, and in more categories and in more ways. And I, I know that what he's, he's criticizing in a very political way, uh, the subject uh, of, of Black Klansmen. And I, I have to say that what Spike did in a very clever way was to take uh, this subject and make it palatable for a wide audience and, and to raise these issues. He's smart and mature. He's figured it out. He's been around for decades. He actually figured out a very clever way to take this subject and make the conversation acceptable and palatable well, and entertaining. Well, but in a way that Boots Riley can still, you know, aim for later well, on. Well, but you're sort of you're avoiding the the issue here, which was that Boots Riley was basically appreciating the filmmaking craft and taking issue with something that hasn't been talked about at all. I mean, what he's saying is that Ron Stallworth was actually sabotaging black activist organizations as part of Cointelpro, and that the memoir he wrote was a way to kind of gloss over all that. So the question is, is that something that someone associated with this movie will have to answer for now that that critique is out there, or can they kind of continue to avoid it? The but he, what he's missing is that movies are about, um, you can, you can, this is the old, the old argument of, of what is, what is the true story versus what is the movie. And this movie raises so many positive issues that need to be dealt with, uh, that I, you know, what, what the other part of his real life is, is irrelevant. Well, it, it is irrelevant unless un, unless it's not because if if he if this guy didn't actually sabotage the clan at all, that would be it's it is a difference between that's not what he's saying, is it? Well, it, it kind of is. He's not he's not saying that this guy actually infiltrated the Ku Klux Klan, but I think it is a it's a relevant question because if that is true, if that the guy didn't do any of that, that he actually did only what the character in the movie is assigned to do early on, which is to basically keep an eye on uh, these black power groups or whatever, then then that would be something that, that seems like it would be worth addressing. Like, why didn't you just create a fictional character or something like that? But I think it'll continue to be an open question. It's, it's certainly Spike is not somebody who's going to want to have to deal with with this on a regular basis. And if those two guys are both on the award So trail. it's a question. Oh, that's true. It's, it's a year. This is a question that could keep popping up. It's not uh -huh. just going to go away. Right, right. Interesting. Interesting. I'll be curious to see how they all handle it. Yes, exactly. 
Well, to be continued on that front, uh, next week we will be gasping for air in the mountains of Telluride. Can't wait for the, the narrative to shift as, as we can finally talk about some of the things that we've seen early and also to see how um, all of these folks, these Midwestern folks, respond to the first burst of Oscar season. So I will see you out there and enjoy your last weekend before the craziness. Thank you, Eric. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather now at ChompaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply.